everyone. I'm your host, Courtney Marie, and thank you so much for listening to the Steve Note Podcast today. Today, I have with me two friends, Jasmine and Adriana, who I met via Zoom of our first semester of graduate school. We are all in the higher education graduate program at Loyola University, Chicago. Jasmine is from Boston and graduated from Suffolk University with a BSA in marketing. Adriana is from Chicago and she graduated from Southern Illinois University with a BA in psychology with a minor in women, gender, and sexuality studies. And today we'll be talking about all things higher education and social justice. So welcome ladies, how are you all doing today? I'm doing good, doing good, how are y'all? I'm good. I'm really excited for this podcast today. I think that we all have some great things to say and I'm just looking forward to it. Yes. So I'm so happy to have you all on to talk, not just about social justice, but social justice and how it pertains to higher education. So as I mentioned before, we um, are all in the Loyola University of Chicago's higher education graduate program. And so many people think that when we say we're studying higher education, it automatically means that we want to teach. I mean, yes, we can teach, but higher education also entails like student affairs. So student affairs help develop the student, whether that's through career services, financial aid, admissions, or housing departments. And all these departments within a university setting is considered student affairs. I just want to kind of clear that up because I get that assumption so many times when I'm telling people what I'm studying. Um, so we definitely have different routes that we can choose from when we, when we think about higher education. And another thing I want to point out, how Loyola University of Chicago's education program is super you know, social justice driven and very inclusive. So we focus um, on how we can as new student affairs professionals accommodate every student, not just their, no matter their story, their background or their, or their race, um, our main priority is the student. So often so many students feel like their institution doesn't put them first um, or, or there isn't enough resources or support to help them get through college. So that's why I felt like it was important for us to have this conversation so we can kind of bring awareness to that. So leading into the first question, why did you all choose higher education at Loyola? So you can talk about some of your interests or where do you see yourself working when we graduate? So um, in undergrad, I was a resident assistant for two years and I was also working in the psychology department as an undergraduate student peer mentor for um, uh, first year students. And I feel like that's really what sparked my interest in um, higher education and student affairs. I just really enjoyed my interactions with students and knowing that I can impact their lives in a positive way um, by sharing my experiences, um, especially being a person of color since you don't really see other POC on predominantly white institutions. And unfortunately, not unfortunately, but SIU was definitely uh, predominantly white at the time. So um, for the students that I did have where, um, you know, they were also from minoritized backgrounds, it was really cool to, you know, have interactions with them because they're like, wow, like, how do I get to be in your role one day? And I was like, you know, after a while, I just really enjoyed it. And I was actually really sad, like graduating and knowing that, you know, I wouldn't hold those roles anymore. So I decided to apply for a higher education program because I knew that that would set the path for me to work with students in student affairs departments or um, do research for a higher education institution. Um, but regardless of that, I think that what really sparked my interest is um, you know, all the stories that I heard and how I was able to, you know, bring about change um, in the sense that, you know, people felt inspired by my story, but also because I was able to give advice. So um, I want to continue to do that uh, long term. And, you know, like people sometimes are like, yeah, people in higher ed don't make a lot, you know, or in student affairs. But sometimes it's not about that. I feel like it's about what you enjoy doing, you know, like, yes, the money aspect is important. But for me, what's more important is something that I'll look forward to every day. And I feel like working in student affairs and higher education is something that I'm going to look forward to for the rest of my life. Um, but I also do recognize that 
as we hear all the time in our program, we're lifelong learners. So um, I'm not sure if that'll be, you know, like my go-to plan forever, but I know that for right now, this version of me, I definitely want to continue to, you know, do work with student affairs and in higher ed, and I'm really enjoying this program. Um, so I think I see myself working like in the Multicultural Resource Center or like with admissions, financial aid, um, anywhere that I could really have interactions with students. Um, but I also see myself doing research. So it's a little challenging, but regardless of where I land, I feel like, you know, as long as it's somewhere like doing student affairs and higher ed work, that's really what I want long term. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I really like your journey. Um, I always like hearing the story of my classmates and my peers as well. Um, for myself, I think I chose higher ed, especially because it, it just fell into my lap. It felt like the most right thing to do. Um, I remember I was a junior uh, at my school, Suffolk, and I was with my friend named Malik, and he was telling me, because he was like the man, like he did everything on campus, he, you know, on, on all of the marketing, everything like that, was super, super overly involved. And he was like, you should really start getting involved. I think I'm going to do my master's in higher education. And being a first generation student, I was like, one, what's a master's? And two, what is higher education? Does it make sense? And he kind of walked me through what a master's was. Um, and also what the field of higher education was. And I was like, oh, that's perfect for him. Um, and then him being a great student leader, he really brought me into his leadership as well. So I had my first job on campus as a marketing art and design scholar doing marketing and art and design for the tutoring center, ended up tutoring. And then as it goes in my last two years, I ended up working in 10 positions in higher education, seven different departments of student affairs and academic affairs. Um, just really got very involved and stepped into a leadership that I didn't know that I could encompass. It, now that I look back, it really makes sense. Um, I've always been an academic. I've been like the academic in my family. I'm the first person to graduate um, from college now, um, first person to apply to college, all that sort of stuff. Um, and they were always really cool and popular in athletics. And I was kind of really cool in tutoring and uh, helping them with education and stuff like that. Um, and it was just always my thing to be the academic. So making people schedules and helping them apply to college, all that sort of stuff was like my nerdy self. I never knew that I could make a career out of it anyway. So as I grew in higher ed, I just found myself falling into more roles like that within leadership and stepping into my whole self um, and realizing that the only reason that I wanted to be in marketing was uh, to work for organizations that really made a big difference and impact to change the world. And as I realized that education, especially higher education was my superpower, um, I realized the impact that I can make on the world in that way, while also making myself more happy, not having my purpose to make a profit, but instead to really use education as a way to achieve social justice, achieve equity. Um, and that's kind of why I ended up in the Loyola, the Loyola program. I remember I was so particular in my reasoning. Like um, I remember my location, it couldn't be no west more than Chicago, north of Boston, south of DC. I only wanted it to be in the heart of a major city. That's why the Water Tower campus was perfect. Um, I wanted more black students than in my undergrad. And more importantly, I think I wanted a curriculum that wasn't performative, um, that didn't just have one social justice class and check it off. Um, I remember when I looked at our program, it said like, um, the experience of undocumented Black and Latinx students. And I've never seen a program uh, in all my search that kind of called out those names um, and had classes around it. So y'all couldn't tell my interests more so is working with underrepresented communities, underprivileged communities first generations uh, of color, uh, students of color rather, in like more of the advising leadership mentorship role, where I could kind of see myself is really anything between like starting a college counselor at a primar primarily black high school, uh, TRIO programs, if y'all know what those are, those are um, 
serving first generation students of color usually. Um, and then I think my end goal is to be a policymaker for a university or state and really make differences uh, towards those students and make sure that we make policy that has long lasting change. So that's kind of my journey in higher ed um, and why I'm here with alongside both of you. I'm excited to be, uh, so yeah. Jasmine, honestly, you just reminded me of why I picked Loyola specifically. And I think that when I was doing research, what really brought me in as well was, uh, you know, they had these courses that were focused on minority identities. Um, and something else that I really liked about the program is that, you know, growing up, I wasn't really like used to seeing POC in positions of higher power. So to see professors that were, um, you know, of diverse backgrounds was really like what brought me in. I was like, okay, go off, you know, like when I saw how, how diverse the faculty was. Um, and I feel like that's really what has been my favorite part about our journey so far in this higher education program, you know, that we have people that are able to share similar experiences that we might have had growing up. Um, but that's one of the things that I love about the program the most is the faculty. They're all really great. And I just, I'm looking forward to the rest of the program. Yeah, you all make very um, great points. Um, Adriana, you made a really good point about um, enjoying what you, what you do. Um, so I think for me, I get that when I think about like, you know, where I want to end up in higher education, I, I see myself enjoying what I'm doing, helping students, um, helping them achieve their goals, advocating for students. Um, I definitely like love those points. Um, for me, Loyola, I don't know. I, I just, I just loved it. I'm, I'm from Chicago and I went to undergrad in Georgia. So a part of me choosing um, Loyola was because I wanted to come back home. And that was just like the perfect excuse. My interests are more so long um, on the long lines of um, university communications. And I think I've talked to you all about that before. Um, so basically how does communications affect the minority students? There are so much, there's so much power in like words and how institutions brand themselves that I find messaging and communicating highly important as it pertains to minority students. Um, so like how you all mentioned, like how you saw that those words like minority and like, you know, diverse um, students being mentioned on the website of the higher education website and that drew you into wanting to to be in the program, I want to see that more for the university as a whole, not just a particular graduate program. And um, from some schools that I have looked at and I've seen, I don't actually think they do that a lot. Like you said, like, you know, Jasmine, being performative, that's really a big thing in most universities. They say that they, oh, they're diverse, but what are the actions behind it? What are the communications and messaging behind it? So. And to be honest, like when I first got into higher education, I did not know where I was gonna go with it. I always knew higher education was probably gonna play some type of role into my career, whatever I ended up doing, um, because I just love being around students. I was an upper bound tutor in, in undergrad. I tutored um, um, students in high school. I did a lot of tutoring and working with students and I was very, education was like driven. I like, I, I just love seeing students learn. So I knew it was going to play into my career. I just didn't know how I was going to combine communications and higher education because you don't hear those two a lot. And then I actually had a meeting with the communication specialist at Loyola yesterday. And, and sometimes I have doubts about merging those two together, communications and higher education. But what she told me was really interesting. She said, you know, I got my under my undergrad degree in um, communications as well. But she said, I really think it's important that you are getting your master's in higher education because when I first started, I didn't have that knowledge of understanding students um, as they're changing through throughout um, their years at the university. She said, I was just like the messaging part. So I that just kind of confirmed what I wanted to do even more. Having that knowledge about how students, you know, navigate and change throughout college and then how can you apply that to messaging? So yeah, I think that's just uh, my 
my goals within higher education, just making that communication plan to, to bring more, you know, minority students, because we see that minority students are the ones that are going to college, the ones that suffer the most because they don't have like, you know, a lot of resources. So just having that messaging and plan where they feel like, feel like, you know, safe around each other, safe in that environment is really what's important to me. I think you make really great points, especially because um, as we've learned in class, um, future generations that are going into college will be more diverse, right? So what can we do to support students, um, especially students that are new or first generation, you know? And as we've talked about We've talked about this before as well, that the student affairs field is still developing, right? So communication is a big part of that. So I think that's a really, really great point. I also think too, um, I really enjoy the fact that you're going into communications in higher ed and then you're also gonna have an academic background in both. One for communication, your communication degree to inform your work, but more of your higher education practice to really be able to communicate to students. As students at Loyola, I think we uh, understand the importance of sensitivity and transparency in how they communicate with us and how they communicate their messages. I really don't think we want a fraud message or a message that is too politically correct or anything like that. Um, as students, we want the respect to tell us what it is. And if you're gonna say something, this isn't very like professional, but say it with your chest kind of thing um, and say it wholly. Uh, whatever you're gonna say, I feel like you should be able to communicate it uh, with confidence and um, be firm in what you're saying. And I think as someone in your role with, with both experience, you'll be very good at that uh, when you do do um, step into that role to give that respect to students while also standing for the university and communicating what they need to communicate. Yes, I definitely uh, agree with both of you and everything, all of our interests are super important. And I'm so, as we talk, it just makes me happy because I feel how passionate we are about this. And I just really can't wait to see like what we're doing like 10 years from now, we're gonna be like, oh girl, I'm doing this and all this stuff. Like if we join forces together, it was just, it's gonna be amazing. So speaking of, you know, like communicating and our interests, um, we talked a lot about, about um, minority students on campus. So let's talk a little bit about represent, representation of minority students in higher education. Why do you all think it's important? Well, I think um, representation for minority students is super important. Um, somewhat across the board, I'm like thinking about all the ways that there can be representation. I guess in one way of like us actually working in the field, I think it's really important for people to see reflections of themselves on campus and have those resources to go to. Um, I feel like it's a way to have advocacy and a way to have um, allyship, especially. I know at least in the classroom, I, I remember Courtney, uh, the first day, like if I see another black girl in the classroom, I will be like, hello sister, what's going on? Just because yes. it's so like natural for me. Um, and I know not necessarily that I can rely on them, but it is a go-to resource just to try out. And I think that's also what leaders and educators do. Um, so having that role and really having those figures to not adopt students of color or people that maybe uh, follow in their identity, but at least be a resource for them is important. And I think more so something that I learned as I'm going through my pedagogy and curriculum class, I think something that's changed me uh, for even more so the better um, is having professors and you know other other women of color people of color um, and minorities in these roles because the curriculum is so important and I didn't realize that till this program um, I knew that we were being taught a dominant curriculum that caters to the white uh, narrative uh, more so than ever but 
as I go on this program in every class in every, like there's going to be an article about black feminist theory or there's going to be an article from the undocumented experience or there's going to be an article from a minority or marginalized experience and to be honest most of our texts do not come from or most of our activities do not come from a cis white gender male um and what that has done for me has been wild like what it's done for my own self-identity for my own validation in my own work um in especially for someone that wants to achieve social justice through education it's really made me feel whole as a black woman and it's made me feel whole as an educator and i've been more in touch with my education now than I have more than ever. It feels like it has the most purpose that it's ever had. And that's because these leaders that I'm learning from, whether it be a professor in the classroom or a student affairs um, work, worker or employee um, in like a diversity office or a multicultural office, et cetera, they purposely put that content in front of you, that programming in front of you. Uh, and you don't get that unless you have those people in those spaces. So you can talk about having a friend, friendship on campus, a leader on campus, um, multiculturalism within your curriculum, or even the importance of having marginalized identities in, in power, in leadership up or higher above when it talks about policy. But really we are the people that are going to change the system for ourselves, for everyone, but especially for ourselves. Um, and therefore, we need to be in these spaces. Not only we need to be in these spaces, we belong in these spaces, and we are more than needed in them uh, to change the system that was not made for us. So yeah, that's how I feel about why representation is important. And representation is important because I wouldn't be here without it, so. I think representation is important because when you see other people, you know, that look like you or, you know, like, you know, you're, they're also like part of a minority identity. You just vibe on a whole different wavelength, you know, you're just like, yeah, I feel you, you know, so I think that it's really great when you have that like connection as students and when you have students yourself where, you know, they might be from minority identity. Um, and I think that um, students like tend to perform better or if you feel more comfortable um, when they can identify really to the people that they're talking to, right? So for me, I think that um, I, I have been really inspired by being in spaces with other people from minoritized backgrounds or identities. So I know that, I know for a fact that, you know, it's just a whole different feeling and it's a good one when you see that representation, um, especially because it has taken so much for us to be in these spaces, you know, and we're taking over them and we're coming on strong. So I think that representation is really important and hopefully we start spreading that information so that people recognize that it's important now and it will be in the future. And we're not gonna set back. I know that we've had like, you know, like the Trump era where people were like, oh my God, you know, like this might deter people away from going, from going, uh, sorry, it might deter people from, you know, wanting to go to college or wanting to, you know, be in spaces where it's typically the mythical norm or like white people in general, but no, you know, we deserve to be in these spaces as minorities and other minority students deserve to be in those spaces as well. And that's why representation is important. You know, you all, you are so right. Um, the vibes are different. And when you have, when you notice some like other minority students in class or even like your professor, um, you, you have because you know you have like the shared experience like if you're going through something or um or you know because of like culture history like that you know that person will understand because they have that same shared experience and it makes you a little bit more comfortable um and i think i i went like i said i went to georgia state university and honestly it made me feel a little bit more comfortable when i saw uh um a uh, minority teacher, um, specifically black teacher uh, in the classroom because it made me feel like, oh, like I can, I can 
I don't want to say paying more attention in class, but I can be more engaged in class because I know what you're going to be talking about mm -hmm. is, um, is like, you know, I can connect with it more. When I went to Georgia State, we had a huge, huge, huge percentage of Black students. And that's one of the reasons why I chose to go there, um, thinking of Georgia State. I mean, like the, the percentage to like, uh, white and black students were like neck and neck it was probably like maybe 47 white and 46 black like it was really close and just having like you know those connections in classes whereas you know I have other counterparts that can share their experience and just bouncing back off and learning from each other um just and, and I think it's very important to have that representation in the classroom because whatever you learn in the classroom is essentially going to be life lessons that people may or may not choose to take on in life so um, I feel like you, you, you just don't learn from like the teacher, you learn from your peers as well. So, and then have, I don't feel like we talked about this in one, one of our classes. Maybe I think I'll be talking about this in like Baber's class and just how um, you learn from your peers and how their experience might be different from yours, but you're still having like, you know, that connection and that, that, that mode of like representation is really a beautiful thing when you're in the classroom. So. I think is really, really important. And whatever field we go into, we definitely need to continue to represent. I know we will, but we definitely need to. And I think that with, you know, um, having more representation of minority students in higher education, we also have to focus on how we can better create a inclusive environment for our diversity. Right. Um, and I feel like that's often forgot about when we talk about representation of minority students in higher education, like they're both equally as important. And I know that we've all talked about this, like the three of us, but I'm just excited to see how we will be able to implement, you know, new programs and stuff wherever, you know, our journey takes us. I just want to say I definitely agree with both of you, uh, especially Courtney and you saying whatever we end up doing, we're going to be like great at. I really see us being, you know, people who make strides, people that are that are changing systems. Um, and I'm very excited for I actually see most of our cohort doing that, uh, but especially the power within this room and this podcast right now. Um, yeah, we, we, we're going to change the world. And it's very exciting to uh, know how powerful you can be as you try to transform education. So I have full confidence in us sisters. And that's one of the reasons why I created this podcast was to, so we can have these conversations. I know we have these conversations so much in private and like, or during our breakout rooms and Zoom meetings, but just to have our thoughts like, you know, put out there and, you know, um, just so we can like process it out loud and hear other people, have other people thinking about how they can help and like, you know, change. I think that's just so, so much more powerful when you can get like a whole group and like group of people in on what you've been thinking about doing for like, you know, so long. So as we talk about representation, um, that was something like we saw a lot a cry, like, I guess a cry of representation and, um, you know, wanting like, you know, justice in the summer of 2020. We saw a peak of frustration from the Af minority community, um, particularly African-American community in 2020 due to George Floyd's um, murder and the election. We had some high anxiety during the election. So I just wanna pose the question, why are you so passionate about social justice, given that the past year that we had, that we saw that social justice was like literally at its peak? I think for myself, I was raised to be passionate in social justice. Like, it's so funny now, my dad's always like, oh my Lord, you care so much about like the black agenda. You care so much about, um, you know, your blackness and this, that, and the third. And uh, I never even talked about it that much. And it's true, even being, I'm half black and I'm half Asian. Uh, and even holding those identities, I walk around the world as a black woman and it's been very apparent to me, um, very much so, especially I come from a, y'all know this, but I come from an all white town. Like I am one of one, the only black girl, the only Asian girl in, in the whole area things and all through all the 12 years of my um, educational system. So 
I feel like I was raised with it because my dad has always fought for it. He's a really big community pastor down here. And I know y'all know this, but, um, and when I was very young, when I was about five, he sued my town for racial injustice for the small Cape Redding, which I'm Cape Redding community that we do have on the same street that my dad's church is. Um, and he really taught me that you're gonna, you have to stand up for your people and you're going to stand up for your people, especially if you have a voice, especially if the power and the education too, um, because it's not just about yourself, but it's about the right of, of the people who are oppressed that are not um, getting the right treatment or uh, the right equity within their community. Um, and so he also taught me too that, like Michelle Obama, like when they go low, we go high he was like, you go high. You're gonna, if you're gonna do it, I, like, he's like, I went to lawyers. I went to the best lawyers in Boston and I handled it. Um, you need to work just, uh, you want to work on their level. You want to beat them at their own game kind of thing. And that's kind of where I kind of got my footing of it, of not being scared of the oppressor and not being scared of, of facing them uh, very much so. And it, it is understandable to be scared. And it's completely okay because everyone has been at that point, but really understanding where your voice aligns in the mission and executing it as it may be. So through that, I feel like I, I was always secondary. Like my dad was always the really big person and I kind of just helped facilitate. And then as I went into college and got into those leadership positions, kind of got a, a better footing. Um, and when I realized that I wanted, the real reason I, I realized I wanted to go into higher education was I already knew I wanted to be in the field, but I knew I wanted to really focus on social justice when I watched my little cousin Desmond um, and he had a very hard time with um, getting into college and he was first generation, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, his high school wasn't supportive to him which caused uh, an issue in his admissions. Uh, and then what caused an issue in his financial aid. We, I ended up having to jump through loops for him just to get into one school um, because the high school did not give this one black boy the academic support needed. In fact, it had the history of, um, of not giving the black athletes, especially academic support. And I watched this cycle happen with all the rest of my older cousins uh, who never went to school and they always fell into a cycle where the education system really didn't help them through the process. They didn't go to school and then they fall into a life that is underprivileged, let's say. And I, he had so much charisma and support and not support, but so much charisma and potential that I wasn't just gonna let it happen to him again. And as I saw myself being used as a vessel to finally get him into school and finally get him that financial aid that no one said that he could get, I was like, there's a really, really, really big problem here. <laughs> and as that stuff happened more towards like today, it happened like in 2019 and in combination with when um, Black Lives Matter started around 2012 or so, the, my anger for that and my rage for that, um, what a book that I love calls Eloquent Rage that Black women tend, tend to carry, plus my, my rage for people like my loved one, like Desmond, who, who go through all this academic struggle just solely because our skin color, which I had gone through, my family had gone through, and then I saw the repercussions of it from generations above me. I was like, yeah whether it be uh, any social justice or social inequity, I need to fight ag against any inequity that happens in this world. So, and I was like, and I can do it through education. So I feel like that's kind of where my social justice thing is. I'm sorry, it's long, but that's kind of how, how I got here. Jasmine, that was beautiful. Um, I'm speechless. I was just about to say, I, I, I love it. Literally. You too. I'm like, thank you. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, you're great. You're amazing for that. Um, thank you for sharing. Um, for me, social justice is really important, um, especially because of my identity. Um, as a Latina first generation uh, from a Mexican background, um, 
I grew up seeing discrimination all around me from language barriers to, you know, racism, sexism, things that, you know, impact us every day. Um, but I feel like social justice really promotes equity across different dimensions of our society. Um, and that's why I'm so passionate about it. Um, I think that there has been a lack of access for individuals of minority identities. Um, and though things are getting better than they were before, um, I think that we've had a lot of setbacks because of our prior administration. Um, and as for um, like the whole George Floyd and the election thing, I think that, you know, it's important to think about things um, not as trendy, you know, because I feel like people were making like Black Lives Matter like a trend and just a hashtag um, while the whole George Floyd thing was going on. And now we don't really see that, you know, so it's frustrating because it's not a trend. These are lives that are, imp that are impacted every day. Um, and it shouldn't just be like a blackout post that you put on your Instagram. You should be out there putting in work every day, not just when someone is killed, right? So for my black brothers and sisters, I was really hurt. And it's important for other minority individuals to do research um, and to like dismantle these ideas that um, are passed on between different um cultures, you know, like I know that there's a lot of anti-Black um, mentalities um, in the Latinx community and maybe even in the Asian community, you know, so it's important to do work. Um, and the high school that I went to was all minorities. It was just like Latinos and uh, Black people. We had a small, uh, I think, percentage of Asian students, but um, I think that when we were all going into college, um, that's when I really became aware of the systems of privilege, power, and oppression. You know, um, there's students that you know, like we we didn't have access to great education. We were part of the Chicago public school system. Um, we, you know, didn't have new books. We our books were probably like ten years old. Um, and we were expected to do well on the ACT and get into college, right? And for me, I think that it really opened my eyes up to who education was created for. And when I say that, it was like standardized tests, for example, you know, like they were not created for minoritized individuals. Um, I think that they were created for the white man to pass. Um, but when I saw this, like trend in my high school where students were not being admitted into colleges and universities. And not because they weren't smart, but because they didn't have access to resources. Um, it was just a reminder that there's so much inequalities. Um, and I saw that throughout college as well, you know, like who was treated better, who had more access to resources. Um, so social justice for me, like I can go on and talk about it in many different aspects, but I think that when I think about it just for the purpose of this podcast, those are some of the highlights that I want to share. Um, but there's definitely more that ties into that. I feel like that was just a very small scope of everything that can go into social justice. Right, first of all, your stories are so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I agree with you, Adriana, like social justice is really complex. There's so many like intertwining pieces that explain to why, you know, minority people of color in America are in the position that they are in now. Um, I grew up on the South side of Chicago and I constantly saw where there are a lack of resources. Of course, huge African-American community where I grew up South Shore area I'm a little bit more east side of Chicago and, you know, food deserts. And like you said, schools weren't testing as high. We didn't have the same resources as like, you know, my counterparts or peers may have going to school up north. Um, I think seeing that at a real young age, of course, growing, growing up when I was a little younger, you would think that it was, it was normal in a way. 
But when you venture outside of like, you know, those environments and you, and especially in Chicago and you're traveling and you take a public transportation, you notice that and that's not normal at all because the same person my age, same grade that lives on the North side of Chicago has a whole totally different like experience than I do. So, um, and I actually think like for like, you know, social justice as in the year that we had last year, I think the pandemic had a lot to do with it. Like we were forced to sit at home and our thoughts already dealing with so many emotions from, you know, just this uncertain uncertainty. And, and I think we just got to a point where we were just tired when we saw that video of like George Floyd. We were just tired. We knew that it was like, it's been going on for so long. And we just keep asking this question, like, why? Like, why is this keep happening? Why do I have to constantly fight for my life, scream, yell, support? Well, what is it going to take to make, you know, lawmakers or um, law enforcement to understand, like, you know, my life matters? Um, and I think that time, it was just for us to show that we weren't playing this time. Like, we're, like, we're actually really serious. And, and to be honest, I have so much faith in our generation. Like Generation Z, like I, I think we're gonna be some pretty amazing people because we have we're so innovative, we're so smart, we're we're already debunking myths that we were taught for so long, coming up with different ways that that our you know baby boomer like parents or grandparents wouldn't even like you know think was possible, and I think just showing everyone a different way of thinking. Um, a different way of like how you can move about things. I think honestly, we're going to be the ones to show that. And I just hope that when we do have kids or, you know, when we go out to like, you know, in our careers and we are mentoring students that we are passing this, you know, information along. Um, I actually wrote an um, article on my website um, called A Message to Past, Present and Future Black grad um, Graduates. And it was right after I had graduated and right after, you know, George Floyd had, um, his video had went viral. And I, I don't know, it was just, I was just dealing with so many emotions. I was really sad. And then being at home, like I was always in my, in my thoughts. And the article, I just really just bought, wrote the article just to, it was basically like a call to action. Like, yes, we graduated during the pandemic. Yes. Our situation is so uncertain, but that's bigger. Like this situation right now is bigger than all of that. Like, how are we gonna use the careers that we have to pull people along? Like, how are we gonna use the careers that wherever if we're, I'm a, I'm an educator, I'm a doctor, I'm a um, um, technician. What? How am I gonna use what I'm doing to pull my fellow community up. And I think that's what it takes um, when we talk about social justice, just continue to like, you know, have these conversations, teaching each other, learning from each other about how can we pull every people of color up to like, you know, this standard where we belong, you know? I think that it's really important to break those generational curses, right? Those sets of mentalities that, you know, teach us that we can't um, reach certain things or that certain things are not attainable for us just because of the way that we were brought up or because of society treating us a certain way. So yeah, and I did want to mention, um, I know earlier I did bring up social justice as a trend and I just wanted to shine some light on how some universities, cough, cough, Loyola <laughs> was, um, you know, I feel like they kind of created, they were part of that social justice as a trend thing, right? Because they decided to create an anti-racist initiative until after everything went down with George Floyd. Um, but then they continue to discriminate against, um, you know, their faculty, their staff, people that work within the university. And, you know, some cases have become very public and still they don't bring about the change that needs to happen to make sure that this doesn't keep reoccurring. They don't remove the problem. They just, you know, send out an email and they're like, yeah, this is the work that we're doing. But this is just a reminder that 
actions speak louder than words, especially when it comes to, you know, anti-racist initiatives. And you make up such like a, like a great point. And that's where that communication factor comes in at. That's where that, you know, that, that, that understanding of how students are feeling and then that messaging comes up and then you have to bring those forces together to like fully communicate. Um, sometimes the email isn't enough. Sometimes you have to, as a communicator, you have to go out into the field and figure out, actually, and I'm not saying that they're not doing this, but it's coming off as if it's like, you know, it's not. Um, so I, I thank you for bringing that up because just, just sending the email out, it, it isn't enough. Especially when you have students paying, you know, money, tuition dollars <laughs> to get an education. You want them to feel, you know, comfortable why it's like, you know, they're on campus. What I was going to say too, um, to bounce off of your, point, your point, Courtney, that you said earlier about what are we going to do about it kind of thing. Uh, what is, not only what is our generation going to do about it, but what are we going to do about it in our work, um, in our careers, in our life? Uh, and I, that makes me think of within Darren's class, like the intro to his uh, course was the student personnel point of view and something that kind of followed me throughout our um program so far is the idea that the purpose of student affairs or the purpose of higher education furthermore is to figure out how you're going to better society. Um, like it's to really to drive a student to find themselves so holistically that they're going to figure out how to uh, contribute the betterment to society. And I think that we are developing that. I'm not going to say all of us, like I'm going to say everyone, including myself, knows exactly the impact that they're going to make and how but we know that we want to do it through higher education through through communication through higher education uh, through advising etc cetera, etc cetera. um thus far at least and of course it could change but i think there is some power in that being the ones who train others up to better society um and to know that we are the ones that are going to be the movers and shakers that produce all these, the next engineers, the next, um, you know, the senators, all that sort of stuff. I was just talking about this with my dad yesterday and he was saying like, what, I, you need to break down higher education to me. Because again, like Courtney said, like everyone's like, oh, you're gonna teach. Oh, you're gonna be a professor, right? Um, and that's kind of not how it is. And I was like, no, imagine me advising a woman of color that's going to be like one of those women in, in hidden figures for example you need to have those spaces that are going to connect her with the stem program that's going to connect her with this woman of color that's already in stem that's going to get her this internship that internship i am a facilitator of that therefore i'm a facilitator of greatness of change um and that's something that's powerful so um Going on to the last question, and we kind of kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, how are we going to continue to fight for justice in and outside of the higher education system? So definitely I, I can start. Um, I think for me, it's just really advocating for the student um, and just helping them along the way um, identify knowing that not not every student is going to have the same story the same background the same culture everyone that comes to college has different experiences and being able to adapt and um, connect with them on that level um, is something that I think will help during you know their time in in college, especially, you know, for minority students where we're already feel like we're overlooked. And then just, I mean, there's so many aspects we can go about it. We can think about um, my um, women, minority students or first generation students where this can really be a really challenging time for them. So when we are in like, you know, these board meetings or in these in these meetings for like, you know, our department, wherever we end up going, making sure that I advocate for students, making sure that if I do have these conversations with students, I, that they know that they can count on me as a voice to, to at least try 
to get their message out and how they're feeling out and to make them feel supported. Um, I think that's just a big, just being that person that they can feel connected to and that they can listen to and have somebody who understands them. Um, and I think that's literally the starting point to continue to fight for justice, having somebody that can understand you. I think that to continue to fight for um, social justice in and outside of higher education, we need to be dedicated to being lifelong learners, you know? And I didn't really think about that until we started um, our higher education program at Loyola. Um, this concept of being a lifelong learner, right? Um, because we're all constantly growing and we're learning. And we really need to think about the different ways that we can develop new strategies to support students, especially as demographics continue to shift, right? Um, because this fight for justice isn't something that will be temporarily. I think that we will continue to fight for it for the rest of our lives. Um, and in order to do so, we need to find, you know, the ways that we can support different groups. Um, we need to be aware of how we play a role in these, you know, narratives and their stories um, because words are so powerful and actions are too, you know? So uh, I think it's important to find balance within us being authentic um, and being to work, you know, in an institution that we feel comfortable in um, for us to advocate for students. Um, but in general, outside of higher education, I think that we can continue to spread information um, and we need to be able to um, take constructive criticism too, you know? Like, um, I think that there's many situations where we think, you know, we're saying something um, that is, you know, okay to say, but maybe it's not, you know? And it's it's important to be able to have conversations where people communicate their feelings about certain things that you may have said that are hurtful, um, especially when it impacts an entire community, you know, because um, I know that there's been so many people that, ha that I have come across that have, um, you know, not had the opportunity to have interactions with uh, people with minoritized backgrounds, you know, because they grew up in rural areas and stuff. So um, I think that in this lifetime, we will continue to come across different people and we just need to be prepared to have different conversations um, and expect the unexpected. I think that's powerful. And I think that is a big thing about being an educator is the acceptance that we don't know everything, no matter how much we think that we know. We don't know every population, we don't know every person, we don't know every culture um, or any, we really, we can never know everyone's experience that's of our own. Um, and the intersectional um, identities that we do hold. That's, that's important to recognize as well. I think as how I plan to continue uh, the fight for justice in and outside of the education system, especially, or the higher education system. I think the first thing we must recognize as, especially like powerful women of color, like we are in this room, is understanding that we continue to fight justice in existing, in being ourselves. Um, there was a quote in one of my classes sometime this week that said that living, liberating, um, and just existing as a whole is something to celebrate and is something to applaud ourselves on, especially holding these identities. And, and that's something that I think does a big, a big justice to people. Just being uh, embodiment of a powerful black woman um, and really doing the work and really executing it. I think that that it serves a lot. And when we talk about representation and we talk about and we talk about um, how we can be leaders in others' lives. I think unapologetically being yourself is a great way to be a leader into life, especially if you hold a marginalized identity or marginalized identities, rather. Um, so I think that's the, one of the biggest ways that I get to fight um, for justice is that not going by the narrative that they want me to have, by breaking the narrative that they want me to have. And 
appealing these um, pictures and all these visuals that they they expect you to hold um, to be a perfect woman, to be a perfect member of society. When I don't have to abide by that, I get to abide by what Jasmine wants to do um, and how Jasmine wants to be perceived as long as I'm being a person who is loving, caring, giving, contributing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think that's one of the main ways to fight for justice in or outside of higher education. Furthermore, I think it's really important to think outside just our career. Um, our career isn't what drives us necessarily. Our passions do, our values do. I often think about, okay, yeah, I'm gonna be working inside an institution, but do I have to work inside an institution? Why can't I work on a state level? Why can't I work on a federal level? Uh, why can't I work for public school systems? Uh, we don't have to be so embodied to an department or a university or anything like that. Um, I think it's important to realize that our work for justice and for education doesn't stop within the building that we're in. And then the last thing is, I really think that taking chances and thinking bigger is another really big thing. I think as someone who has always considered themselves, I'm an extrovert now, but considered myself an introvert behind leadership, always kind of in the darkness beside, behind someone else and they radiate their light onto me. I think it's important to be confident and not be fearful. Don't, as much as you can, don't let fear stop you, especially when you know you're capable. Like, I know I'm capable of certain things, but my doubt and my fear sometimes makes me hesitate. Overcoming that and really stepping into my leadership, really stepping into myself and, and everything I can do is going to be what really makes me go from just being a participant to being a leader in the change, a leader in justice. And that's something I would like to sign up for. That's everyone's own choice and ability, but that's something that I personally um, want to do within this field, within my life. So I think the last thought I, I can leave y'all with in this, in this question is something, again, that I was talking about with my dad. Um, and I was telling him yesterday, uh, he asked me like, how, yeah, similar to this question, how do you wanna fight for justice? How do you wanna achieve justice? How are you gonna get there when other people won't allow you to? The people at the top are still white. The people at the top are still men. Um, how are you even gonna get to that position? And I said, well, there's multiple ways, but the two main ways that I can think about is one, you can kiki and be friendly all the way up the ladder, you know, be as presentable as possible, uh, as smart as possible, and make your way up through the deans, the VPs, until you are on that board of directors, until you're president, and, um, you know, lock arms and unity and da 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 da, da which can be tiring, but that is one way to do it. Find allies uh, and find people to, that will lift you up with their privilege and get you up there. And then the other way is definitely more militant, where you go through the, you don't decide to uh, go through the systems, but decide to appeal them, dismantle them, destroy them. Um, instead of climb the ladder, break the ladder and make your own staircase. Um, so yeah, those, I think those are all things to think about and how to fight for justice. Which way do you wanna do it? Um, what is the best fit for the school that you're in? Uh, what are you trying to achieve? All those sort of things. And um, how can you utilize the power that you have? So. That was just so, so beautiful. I loved it. I love every word that came out of you all's mouth because it is so true. And one thing as a closing thought from the gist of it, whoever's listening, what you can take away what we just said was literally as we continue to fight for justice, in and out in and outside of the higher education system the the way we're doing is just being understanding continue to be lifelong learners and just being ourselves as people of color and when i feel like just those three things being put together something beautiful will come out of that well i just want to thank jasmine and adriana for joining me and to anyone listening, just know that I fight for social justice for all minorities in America is far from over. 
No matter if you work in healthcare, education, tech, or law, you can make a difference. Think about how you can play a part in making a change for the better. So be sure to tune into my next episode of the CNO Podcast. And if you have not already, go check out my article, A Letter to My Past, Present, and Future Black Graduates on my website at www.court-marie.com. And also follow the CNO Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the CNO Podcast. Thanks again, y'all. Bye.